Here at Meadowland, we are about seeing lives changed by Jesus and disciples of Jesus made. If you were to say, well, why does Meadowland exist? That, that is our vision, is to see lives changed by Jesus and disciples of Jesus made. What, what is that about? Well, see, we believe that life change is possible. We believe that we can change our lives and that, that life change is found in pursuing Jesus. We believe that Jesus claimed to be God and then proved it at the cross, at the empty tomb, and at the miracles he did. And as we read the account of the disciples and others who witnessed firsthand what Jesus claimed to do and then did, we believe that he's God. And being God, that what he says and what he did matters and should have an implication upon our life. We believe that Jesus made a way for us to be holy, a way for us to be forgiven of all the wrong that we've done. Uh, scripture called that sin. To be forgiven of that sin, for to be removed from us as far as the east is from the west, so that we can be in God's presence, a holy and perfect God. We can be in his presence because we are made holy and perfect in Jesus. We believe that we go uh, from go, being dead to sin to alive in Christ. That's what we talk about when we're saying lives changed by Jesus. Is that apart from God, we are dead in our sin, which means even though there, there, while there still may be breath in our lungs, if our sin is undealt with when we die, that we'd be separated from God. But in Jesus, we're alive in him because in death, that we would have eternal life because of the work of Jesus in our lives. And so we truly believe in seeing lives changed by Jesus. He can take someone who, whose heart is, is dead to God and make it alive again. We are about seeing disciples of Jesus made. In John chapter 8, we read an account where the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of Jesus' time, bring this woman caught in adultery before Jesus, and they basically they're trying to get him uh, uh, caught up in, in their law so they can accuse him of something. And uh, they basically say, hey, so what do you want to do? This woman was found in adultery. And Jesus basically says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Uh, one of the punishments would have been stoning. And so he says, hey, if you're without sin, go ahead and, and you can cast judgment on this woman. And, and one by one, her accusers leave and they're gone. And Jesus looks at her and, and basically uh, you know, says, hey, where, where are your accusers? And she says, hey, they've left. And he's like, um, you know, I, I don't judge you either. He says, go and sin no more. Pursue a new way of life found in Jesus. And so we see as we have an encounter with Jesus, as we're, we're forgiven of our sin, that he then calls us to go and live a different kind of life, to live a life that is pursuing him, to live a life that is in line with what he teaches. And yes, there is still a journey. There's still ways in our life in which we're not currently like Jesus, and that's why we say life is a journey. And each day we pursue him and try to be more like him in the ways that we fail, in the ways that we sin. We seek forgiveness and we know that his sacrifice on the cross, his death is sufficient for all of our sin to pay the price for it, past, current, and those to come. And so we walk in him with a changed life and we grow as a disciple. And ultimately, what a, a disciple does is make more disciples. And that is what we are about about seeing people grow as a disciple who will then share the truth of Jesus with those who have never heard it, that they could receive Jesus and see their lives change as well. It would also pour into others who are following Jesus and help build them up and, and teach them the ways of God, helping them to know God more and more and to live like him. And then we would do this in community as we seek to see lives change and disciples made. But see, here's the neat part. Is regardless of where you are on this journey, first and foremost, you are welcome in this place. You are loved by God and you are loved by us. And we are glad you're here. 
And regardless of where you are on your journey, it's our desire to help you see, uh, to help you take the next step on that journey. Even if you have no interest, if you're indifferent about Jesus, maybe you're just kind of slightly intrigued, but don't know much about him yet. Maybe you do know him, you've received forgiveness uh, as you've trusted in him, but you're not sure what's next. Okay, I trusted in Jesus, you're talking about this whole baptism thing, I'm not sure, is that my next step? Maybe you're not sure what's next, there's some confusion there. Maybe even growing in your understanding of who Jesus is, and there's things you can look back and say, man, here's some real steps of growth that I've taken as I've trusted in God, as I've relied in him. Look what he has done in my life. Maybe you're taking next steps of obedience where God reveals something to you in your life. It's like, hey, this is not in line with what I would teach. You hear that almost like go and sin no more. And so it's a lifestyle we need to turn from and, and go a different direction. Maybe you've taken a next step in serving. You volunteered to join a team here at Meadowland. Maybe you're serving out in your community to care for those who need to hear about Jesus and to meet their needs and to show them that they're loved. Maybe you've taken a next step in giving as we've had this parking lot campaign going on to, to fund this parking lot that's going to be going in this summer. We've seen all kinds of uh, uh, steps of generosity, people giving to that to see, uh, see us be able to remove any offense that would keep someone from hearing the gospel. Maybe you're taking a next step in fellowship and opening up your lives to other believers and sharing what God's doing in your life and to share your concerns and your doubts and your worries and your questions and your praises and encouraging one another and walking with one another. Some are probably at a point as well where we are actively working to, to see more disciples made. Regardless of where you are on your journey, one, you are welcome here. But two, there is also a longing in our hearts I think we all desire to see satisfied. Again, no matter where we are in that journey, all of us have this longing in our hearts that we desire to satisfy through all kinds of different ways. It's ultimately this question that we're looking at here uh, for this series of in the pursuit of meaning is why are we here? What is this all about? And again, depending on where we are in our journey with God, maybe we can answer this question in a couple different ways. But even as we answer, I think this, this question still is just dear and close to our hearts. And this is what we're working through the book of Ecclesiastes. It's to be able to have peace about the answer to this question, have peace about our lives as we understand the meaning of them. And Solomon, who we've been reading about, has this same question. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Uh, we're going to pick up from where we left off last week. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 12. As you turn your way there, I'm going to jump right in. Don't worry, that we're just going to do one verse and then stop. Uh, so keep finding that there, Ecclesiastes 2, 12. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who, has come after, who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Basically, Solomon's kind of just a real quick recap of what he's already mentioned, what he's already talked about before he moves on to a new thought. And remember, Solomon was the king of Israel. He was actually the third king of Israel. And he was actually, we're going to find out, the last king of Israel in that format before there was some kind of, there, there was uh, this meltdown, this dissolving to where they split into two different kingdoms. There's always multiple kings uh, that preside over those two kingdoms. But as far as Israel, as the 12 tribes uh, joined together, he is the last king uh, only after three kings does it then fall apart. He's given more wisdom than anyone in his day and anyone to come. God basically comes to him and says, hey, what do you want? I will give you anything you ask for. And he asks for wisdom to be able to govern his people. 
And God was so, impressed, so pleased by that. He grants him wisdom more than anyone else on this earth ever has had or ever will have. But then also being king, he has great wealth and great power. Pretty much all this translates to zero limitations. There's no opportunity that this man did not have. There's no path he couldn't chase down. There's no road he couldn't walk because of who he was and what God had blessed him with. And so he sets out to pursue this question. What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of why we are here? He basically turns his whole life into an experiment. He says, I am going to walk every avenue you can go down. I'm going to pursue everything to see what has meaning, what has value. We looked at last week, chapter 2, he begins talking about this pursuit of pleasure, how he threw the most epic parties. We're not just talking about, hey, he had a lot of people with some good food. We're saying he had thousands of people for multiple days with anything and everything you could do and see and hear and bringing in the bands, bringing in comedians, bringing in all the celebration, and he would just party and party and party. Uh, and then he transitions from that to a time of building. It says that he took seven years to build a, a temple for God and then took over 13 to build his own house. And then he you, know, you could say, hey, Solomon, I've planted a garden. That was pretty wild, pretty awesome. So I've, I've experienced some of this pleasure you're pursuing. He says, yeah, that, that's small change, bro. I've planted a national forest. I mean, anything that we could have done, he went and, and went up a few more levels because he had no limitations. And so he built buildings and homes and forests and gardens and built cisterns to be able to water all that. And once that was done, he kind of sat back and said, hey, What's next? They began to fill them with things and tr sought treasures and, and uh, acquired servants and slaves and wives and concubines. This is the man, if you've heard his story before, who had 700 concubines and 300 wives. And, and he pursued pleasure in all those things. And what was his conclusion? It's all meaningless. It's all meaningless. Again, if this is your first week with us digging into Ecclesiastes, there are moments of this series that are kind of a Debbie Downer. I'm going to apologize for that right off the bat, but I'm not going to apologize for sharing that because this is the Word of God. As we dig into it, we're going to see that it is useful. It is encouraging, even in some of these challenging passages, even in some of these challenging books. And so we're going to find hope in God. We're going to find joy in Him. But before we can get to that and truly embrace that, we have to see what Solomon has experienced and, and the road that he's walking to say, hey, everything is meaningless. Everything I've tried is meaningless. So maybe he gets to a point where he says, well, why is it, you know, I have all this wisdom, but everything I, I put it towards is meaningless, so what's it worth? Well, why shouldn't I just put my head in the sand and just ignore all this wisdom that I have? And basically we see that in Ecclesiastes 2.13. He says this, Then I saw that there was more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. Basically, that this question he's probably wrestling with, of, of, hey, if it's all meaningless, what do I do with all this wisdom? He says, okay, well, here's a little bit of a, a glimpse into this. It's better to have your eyes open than have your eyes shut. Do I, do I have any... Uh, uh, Young adults begin to drive here. Free, free lesson for you. Eyes open, okay? It's much better way to go, especially when something significant is happening, you know? You, you know you're veering off the road, you caught a curb or something like that. Eyes open is the best way to go. Yes, there's that one song, Jesus Take the Wheel. doesn't mean literally, okay? 
Keep your hands on the wheel, keep your eyes open, and then pray, Jesus, take the wheel. Um, why? Because information is greater than ignorance. That's what Solomon's saying here. So he's seeing that everything is meaningless, but he's also still seeing, but there's still value in, 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 in all that I've seen, in all that I've witnessed. Because information is still greater than ignorance. You know, there's a time, and I was trying to remember the specific story, and the more I started to think about it, I realized that this has happened more than once to me, and so maybe I'm uncovering an issue I've got to be working through in my life. But uh, before there was GPS on every phone and every car and all these, you know, everywhere, you know, when you had to have a map printed out or something like that, and yes, I was driving in those days, and uh, I'd go on a road trip, I'd be going somewhere, and it's always happened on the expressway. Because when you're on the expressway, especially if you're like on an interstate, you can just kind of get driving and space out, right? And all of a sudden, you, you realize, I don't know if I missed my turn or not. I don't know where I'm going. I, I know I'm supposed to turn on this road. I don't know what exit is, so I can't look at the numbers and figure it out the smart way. I just know I'm looking for this road, and I don't know if I've passed it or not. So gentlemen, what do we do? We keep driving, right? We keep driving. I bet you it's the next exit. We get to the next exit. Nope, that's not it. Maybe I should, oh, no, I already passed it. Well, I'll go on to the next one. And next thing you know, we've been doing that for a half hour, 45 minutes, and we finally have had enough, and we stop, we pull over, we get a map, we figure out where we are, we find out, yes, I missed my turn 45 minutes ago. And so now we drive 45 minutes back the other way. We're an hour and a half extra into our journey just to get back to square one, right? And maybe you can relate to that, but I've done that in my life before because I wasn't willing to stop and get the information I needed to see where my my journey was going to end up. Some of us are treating our lives that way. We're, We're not looking at where our life is going. We're putting our heads in the sand. Maybe you know people like that. If we were to stop and look at the fruit of our life, we would see that, hey, I I may have missed my turn back there. Imagine if I was on the wrong road and never stopped to find out where I was. Not only would I have missed my turn, but I'd end up somewhere that I'd never planned to be. And wouldn't have no idea how to get back, probably. I want to take a moment and just reflect on the direction of your life. Okay, Just think about your life. Reflect on the direction of your life. One way I think we can do that is look at the fruit. Look at the fruit that that comes as a result of your life. Where is a change of course needed? Where is there a place where you've closed your eyes to something? And you've said, I don't don't want to know. I don't even want to know. I must assume that I'm all good on this. Maybe that has to do with your walk with Jesus. Maybe, hey, these these spiritual conversations are uncomfortable and and they're weighty and I'm not good at them. And so, you know what, I've just kind of stuck my head in the sand and I've just, uh, you know, my parents taught me this, so I'm just stuck in that. Maybe there's information that you've turned a blind eye to. Where is a change, of course, needed? Maybe your current direction is breeding conflict in your life, breeding discontentment, breeding envy, breeding unfulfillment and a lack of satisfaction. You see, Solomon saw the course of his life, and the more he saw the direction of it, it there began to have some, be some frustration, we can see, as, as we see what he wrote. But there's some frustration with the direction of his life. Let's see what he says here in verse 14 and on. The wise person has his eyes in his head, good place to keep them, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. 
Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity, meaning meaningless. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. No one's going to remember us. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise, di- wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity. And is striving after the wind. I want, I want you to think about a quick question. How smart would you say you are? Seriously, how, how smart are you? Turn to the person next to you and tell them how smart you are. Tell them something that you are really good at, that you're probably better than most people. Hey, here's something I'm really, go ahead, tell them. There's nothing wrong with that. So it, it, it's self-awareness. Hey, here's something that I am really good at. How smart are you? Now, if anyone used the, hey, I'm street smart, go back and find something else, because that just means when you can't understand something, you say, oh, I'm just street smart. <laughs> but, so something that I, I like to do is, um, I like to visualize things in my head, so like geometry and math was something that, that, that I was pretty good at, because I, I could do that, I could kind of visualize things, and so if it comes to taking things apart or trying to put them back together, I was working on, on my Jeep this weekend, and I've had this funky thing with my turn signal, where you turn your turn signal on, but your flashers go in the back and have met, you know, every once in a while in an odd circumstance where someone thinks we're trying to warn them because our flashers keep going off. We're just trying to tell them we're turning. And so I, I pulled out the switch and I took it apart. If you ever took, taken apart something like that, uh, never fails. There's always at least like three springs that are all loaded in there and you open it up and they all go flying and you have to find all the pieces. Somehow I, I got it back together. Just, I was looking at it and I could see, okay, this goes there and that's how this works. And, and so that's something that God has blessed me. Like I can see how those things work. So what, what are you good at? But here's why I hit on this, is no matter how smart you are, no matter what area of your life you are the expert, people go to you when they have a question about whatever you shared, we all go to the same place. We all have the same stop on the journey of our lives, and that stop is death. And that's what Solomon has seen. Despite all the pleasure he's pursued, he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm the smartest man ever to live, and I've, I've pursued pleasure, all these great things, and yet I'm going to die just like the fool." We're all going to end up in the grave. No one's going to remember us. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We said, hey, who knows the names of the people who are three, four generations back in their family? Very few of us do. Who knows their story if we even know their names? You go back to a fifth or even sixth generation, I imagine everyone in this room would be like, well, maybe I have it written down in a book somewhere, but we don't know them. And they're our family. So we die and we're forgotten. We all have the same stop on our future, the stop of death. Um, again, I apologize for being a little bit of a Debbie Downer, but uh, do you realize that, that each one of us in this room is now closer to death than when we woke up this morning? Hey, good morning. Welcome to Meadowland. There's a happy, lovely feeling. You, you don't need to wait for a birthday. Like, oh, I'm one year older, you know. Hey, you, you, a couple seconds ago, you know, you, you're, now, you're now that much closer to death than, than you were a couple seconds ago. This leads Solomon to ponder, so what's the point in living wisely anyway? What's the value in all this? So he's experienced all this stuff and pleasure, and he's wrestling with the end, that, hey, we're all going to end up in death, and he gets here to verse 18. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. 
Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. <laughs> you can see his frustration building. As if the fact that, that we all go to the same stop of death wasn't enough. Hey, someone else is going to get all that stuff you worked hard for. You put all this work in, into uh, the, that which you have in this world, and you know what? Someone else is going to get it. And it's even possible that that someone else didn't work for any of it. They didn't help you in the process. They, they, they just got it because you're dead and you're done with it. You know, I, I wonder if Solomon was beginning to see the character of some of his sons. Because his sons have a large hand in, in the steps of where Israel goes and in, in the division to the northern and the southern kingdom. His, his kids, you know, make a mess. Make a mess of the leadership of Israel. You got to wonder if he's seen some of this going on. And he's like, man, I've done so much. I've built so much. I have so much. And some fool's going to get it when I die. Leads him to verse 22. What has a man from all this toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? What do we have for this? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. They're beginning to see a clear picture of Solomon's pursuit for meaning. After all your hard work under the sun, what do we have to gain? He sees it's all meaningless, but I think he's starting to uncover the deepest parts of this right now. Hey, I, I lie awake at night that there's still something missing. Uh, that my, my heart longs for more. We're going to see a glimpse of what that is when we get to chapter 3. It uh, talks about uh, how God has placed eternity in our hearts. His heart does not have rest. Something is still missing. Have you ever gone through a crisis of meaning in your life? He's come to a point you're like, what's this all about? What am I doing? Maybe it's tied to a certain age. You hit a milestone in life. Maybe you had some goals and you, you realize that your five-year goals from five years ago are still five years out. And you realize, man, what am I doing with this life? I, I should be at this point and this point and this point. Or maybe you started to have kids or you started a family, yet you have people who rely on you. And you're like, man, I can barely take care of myself and I have all these people who are relying on me. Have you ever gone through something like that? Maybe you're at a significant point in your schooling. A significant test that's going to be like a make or break point. Hey, if, if you don't pass this test, the whole past year you put in uh, of work counts for nothing. So you've got to start all over and, and go through a whole class again and lead up to this big final test. There's all kinds of things that happen in our life that can lead us to this point where we have a crisis in our life, a crisis of meaning. Sometimes we spend our days trying to satisfy that longing for something. And it can lead us anywhere. Some of us say, hey, I need to work harder. I need to do more because I, I want to have meaning in life. Some of us say, hey, I need to work less. I need to have more time for these other things in, in my life. Or maybe I just need to work somewhere else. You feel like, hey, it's, it's the job I had. That's what was draining me. That's, that's what's causing this lack of meaning. If, if I had a different job, if I had this, man, then I'd be good. Sometimes we, we think, hey, I need to buy more. You know what? If I had the latest and greatest whatever, that then I'd be good. Then I'd be satisfied in my heart. Or maybe like, hey, I got too much stuff. I need to sell it all, go minimalist, and just have the bare necessities. Or I need to upgrade all that I have. It's, you know, I've had it for like three months, and then the latest model just came out. You know, I need to upgrade. 
We, we pursue all these different things to try to satisfy that longing in our heart. Maybe we withdraw from other people and get real introspective in life. Maybe we, we fully throw ourselves into relationships, uh, healthy or not, and we pursue relationships with other people. We seek out anything that can numb us or distract us from this unrest in our heart. We try to find all these things that can satisfy that. And Solomon, that's what he's been doing with his life. Pursuing all these different things, and yet his heart is still restless at night. That's because there's a, a sense of eternity in each one of our hearts. And he kind of answers his question as far as what do we do about this right, right, right after this, verse 24 and 25. There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. When we first look at this, I don't know about you, when I first looked at this, I'm like, well, hang on a second here. Is Solomon really saying that the meaning is simply found in enjoying the work of life? Is it that simple? Because it seems like what he's been doing, right? Isn't that all the stuff that he just said was meaningless? We can't, we've got to keep all those sentences together because there's a full thought here. Because this also I saw is from the hand of God. This enjoyment in the toil, he's talking about, is an enjoyment found in God. For apart from him, who, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For apart from God, who can have enjoyment? Solomon here is saying something significant. He's saying, apart from God, we can have no enjoyment in life. Do you believe that? Think about that. That's a bold statement. Solomon's saying, apart from God, we can have no enjoyment in life. The man who has experienced every kind of enjoyment there is, every kind of pleasure there is in life, is saying, apart from God, there's no joy. What do you think? I I wrestle with that at first. I, I, I love to build things. When I build something and it's done, man, I, I get so much joy from that. I'm like, hey, look, I built this. I might try to be humble about it and you know, maybe just put it out places where, where you know, people will see it. and Hey, is that new? Where'd you buy that? Well, I bought it at, at the lumber store because I made it with my own hands and hours and hours of cussing at it. But you know, I like fixing things. Fortunately, I have projects that I'm building things. So if I didn't have projects, I'd go around breaking things just so I could fix them. I, I like fixing things and that joy when you finally get it to work. I like a good sci-fi action movie. You know, the movies I really love are, are the ones where they create this world. This is why I loved The Matrix, if you haven't seen The Matrix. Uh, it creates this world where the crazy sci-fi stuff that they're doing is believable. I know we're not in a world where that's believable, but they, they build this world where it is, and all of a sudden you get lost in the story. I'm like, those, hey, I enjoyed those kind of things. So... Is Solomon saying that, well, no, unless you're finding that in God, that there's really no joy in that? So what makes you happy? Where, where do you find joy? What things put a smile on your face and warm your heart? See, this is not like the kind of enjoyment that Solomon is speaking about. Hey, I like these things or there's some joy in them. He's talking, because all, all, all this stuff is temporary. He's talking about that which satisfies the eternal itch of our heart. If you don't believe me, let's put it in the context here of what he's saying. This is the man who just got done saying that everything is meaningless, right? Everything is meaningless. There's no point behind it. I've experienced it all. Nothing is new. Nothing lasts. Nothing satisfies. But then it's this major turnaround where all of a sudden he says, there's nothing better than to, than to eat and drink and enjoy the works 
uh, of your labor. Well, it doesn't make sense. You just said all that's meaningless. And you're saying there's nothing better than that? He said, well, that's, the enjoyment is from God. I don't, I don't know if I've, I've convinced you on this yet. Um, if you're struggling to believe this point that, that there's no enjoyment apart from God, I'm guessing one of two things. One, you've either just been filled up by something really fun, really enjoyable in your life, or two, you're on such a trial, you're in such sorrow right now that you're having a hard time with, with any joy whatsoever. Let me address both of those. If you're having a hard time seeing this truth that the Solomon's laying down, that, that true, eternal, lasting joy can only be found in God, it might be because you're coming off of a high. You know, imagine, if, for those who are married, when you got back from your honeymoon, you're like, hey, this is awesome. And maybe if you had a fight on your honeymoon, maybe just the trip to the honeymoon, before any kind of conflict started. Hey, you know, oh, he loves me, she loves me, and oh, we love each other, blah, 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 and this is the best, and we're never going to fight, and the whole, the whole world is just, you know, everyone came to our wedding when it was all about us, and that's how life is going to be, and it's just great, and we have all these gifts waiting for us at home and no responsibilities yet, and it's just great. And then a few months, a few weeks, a few days, a few moments go by, and that changes. And there's nothing wrong with that, but we, we, that comes, we come down off the high. Maybe you just had something awesome go on this weekend. You know, we have graduations going on. Maybe you just graduated, you hit a major milestone, graduated college, got your master's, got a doctorate, graduated from junior high or high school or kindergarten. I don't care where you graduated from. There was some graduation. You went and celebrated one of someone that you, you weren't sure if they were going to make it. And they did. You're like, hey, that's awesome. I'm just glad you finished. And there's all this joy. And hey, Steve, I really enjoyed that kind of stuff. Again, Give it time, and I apologize for being the Debbie Downer, but we, we need to get to that point where Solomon's at, where he's like, hey, I sought it all. I poured myself into all of it, and there was still this longing in my heart that kept me awake at night. There's still an, an uns, uh, unsatisfied part of my soul. See, everything in our, in our life, I, I believe, moves to entropy, where it's this breaking down. It, it's like this. Imagine I had a bucket up here, and there's a hole in the bottom of the bucket, and, and I was pouring water into this bucket, and this bucket is my life, and water is satisfaction, okay? So I'm, I built a project, and I poured in some water, I was satisfied, there was joy in that, but this water is flowing out of the hole. So there's two things I can do as one who can you know, pursue different things that I find joy in. I can walk Solomon's Road and, and, and pursue pleasure in different ways. That's kind of the, the putting the water into the bucket. I can either keep putting the water in, right? I keep putting the water, and I try to keep myself satisfied in that. If I keep doing that, sooner or later, I get dissatisfied with the fact that I have to keep putting the water in, right? And I'm constantly pursuing different things for that satisfaction that keeps running out of my life. I'm like, let me try something new. It's, it's like Solomon. I tried it all. And at the end of the day, it all washed away because there was still this eternal longing in my heart that wasn't being satisfied, this eternal itch that wasn't being scratched. So we can keep trying to pursue satisfaction in other ways of our life. Or we can say, you know what, I, I'm tired of that. I'm going to put that down and just have the, the satisfaction that I have. But what's going to happen? It all runs out. And either way, we're left in this place of dissatisfaction. We're left in this place that Solomon got to. which says, hey, there's, there's got to be more. He says, there is. It's that we do all this finding our joy in God. So we have to ask this question for ourselves. Are we pursuing an everlasting joy in God or temporary joy from the world? 
And see, we can still, there's things in this world that, that will bring us happiness and, and joy, but unless we first and foremost are finding that in God, all this other stuff will not satisfy us. It won't satisfy us eternally. It'll just be temporary. See, our, our joy is not found in our costume, meaning the things that we put on, the things we buy, the things we wear, the things we have. See, those things aren't us. Those are just, the, 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 you know, we said this is our costume. That's how we, we dress ourselves up. Though everything wears out, there's always an upgrade that comes out or a new model that's released uh, before the old one's even broken. Let's not be people who find our joy in our costume. Let's not be people who find our joy in our comfort. We live in a world where, where discomfort has become such an offense. Well, how, how dare you discomfort me? Or how, how dare I be, I be put out? But when we find our joy in God, first and foremost, that transcends any sorrow or pain or discomfort that we would go through. Why? Because we know how the story ends. i, I got a friend who's going through some real significant health issues right now. And there's, there's two different kinds of, of significant health issues that I see. One is that long-suffering road, where it's just something that you, you live with that's always there, and every day you wake up and you have to endure, endure it, and you, and you, know, you know it's going to be there until the Lord takes you home, and you just have that long-suffering road. And then the other ones are, are where it's terminal. And this friend is kind of in both camps right now. They have some, some healing that they're longing for and uh, that there's so some options the doctors can still take, but this could take their life as well. They don't know. They're kind of walking with a foot in both camps and I, I was talking with them the other day and my, my heart, you know, I, I was trying to be encouraging this. I said, have you considered all the potential outcomes and have you sought God's sovereignty, his joy, his peace, his truth in, in, in any one of those? Some of those are easier to, to pursue than others. Some we look at and say, hey, one option is God heals me completely. Man, there's all kinds of satisfaction in that. That'd be awesome. I'd tell that story, give God glory, and all these great things that can happen as a result of that. But on the other spectrum, one story might be death. It might be the end of days. Can you still find joy in God in the midst of that? I think as we understand eternity, as we understand Jesus' offer to us, that when we're made holy and pure and can stand in the presence of an almighty God, we're also brought into the family of God and have a place in eternity with God in heaven. And the more we understand that, the more we can embrace that, the more we can hold on to that, that scratches that, that eternal itch in our heart for satisfaction. And then even in the midst of sorrow and pain, we can find joy in God. This is... This is Definitely one of those points that is easy to communicate, easy to share. But the second it hits you and you have to live through it, man, is it hard. And so if you know someone going through this right now, out of love and compassion and a heart for them, walk with them, encouraging them in, in, in the love that God has for them, in the eternity that they're offered in Jesus, in your love for them. If you're going through this, Know that you are loved, that you're loved by God and you're loved by us. Open up your life to others so that we can walk with you in that journey, wherever the Lord may take it. But our joy is not found in our comfort, but our joy is found in our God. Our joy is not found in our culture. This is something that I see many of us pursuing in all different kinds of ways, and I'm guilty as well, where we embrace our culture and, and we don't always stop to think, well, how, how does this honor God? As Christians were called to be salt 
Salt is a preservative and salt is a flavoring. We're to uh, preserve our world and, and flavor with Christ and, and represent Jesus to this world. And yet so many times we, we embrace aspects of it and we, we kind of take our head and we take our, our mind out and we put it on the shelf and then we just go and engage in culture, not, not taking a moment to think about, is this what God will call me to? I want to offer to you um, something that we, we teach around Christmas time. We talk about Christmas traditions. How do we engage and interact with Christmas traditions? You know, um, do they honor God? Do they not? There's kind of this threefold R uh, series we can go through. Uh, we can either receive something that we find in culture. There, there are things that, that our culture does, and there's nothing wrong in them. They, they would honor God for us to, to, to join in in some of the things that our culture does. And there's nothing wrong in doing that. So where we see our culture doing things that, that are noble, that are, that are honorable, that are trustworthy, that are uplifting. Let's do those things. I mean, we see that all the time from our community where, where they're reaching out to those in need. Let's celebrate that. Let's champion that. Let, let, let's join in with that. Let's receive that. There's other things we see that need to be outright rejected. Where it's, hey, this is not, it, it does, does not honor God to do this. And, and we're not rejecting those who do it, but we're rejecting it in the sense of we're not going to live it out ourselves. And there's some things in our culture that we embrace as Christians that we really need to be rejecting and say, hey, this, this is not for me. We don't need to do it in a judgmental way or, or, or a condemning way to everyone else. We just say, hey, I'm trying to be like Jesus and to live out like this. No, it's, uh, it's, I can't do it that way. So some things we can receive, other things we reject, and other things we can redeem. Well, maybe there's nothing wrong in and of itself of, of the act, but you know, someone's trying to put a spin on it, you can say, hey, you know what? And this isn't like taking those t-shirts and instead of like Mountain Dew, it says like, uh, I don't remember what those, but you change it to some cheesy Christian saying, if you have those t-shirts, that's okay. They will know we are Christians by our t-shirts um, and, our, and our bumper stickers. Um, but that's okay if you have those. But I mean, that's not what I mean by redeeming. I mean, but seeing a way in which we can engage in our community and join with them in something they're already doing and help them to see how that honors God and point them towards Christ in that. So when it comes to our culture, instead of finding our joy in our culture, we should find our joy in God and then we should engage in our culture by seeing should we receive, reject, or redeem the things that are going on in culture. One more. I think sometimes we find our joy in our circumstances and this is probably one of the most dangerous Probably one of the most dangerous uh, when it comes to the unsatisfaction of the soul is when we try to find our joy in our circumstances. Because here's what happens. All of a sudden, dissent falls in or unhappiness. Something happens that, that, that we're, we're unhappy about, unsatisfied with. And what do we do? We look at our circumstances and say, if our circumstances were different, then I'd be happy. If my boss was only a little more this or a little less that, a real dangerous one is to do it for our spouses. If my spouse was just a little more this or a little more that, that can lead us down a dangerous road. If my friends were just a little more this, were a little more encouraging of the things I'm trying to do, if, if they were a little less that. If my opportunities, if I had more opportunity in life um, that others have, well, well, then this would be different. But see, our, our joy is not found in our circumstances. And so changing them isn't what's going to bring us eternal joy. That can only be found in God. And that's what Solomon's saying. To pursue meaning in anything other than God will eventually leave to, will, will lead us to frustration. Ecclesiastes 2.26 For to the one who pleases him, 
God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This is also, a, this also is vanity and a striving after the wind. So to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. So we have to ask this question, what, what pleases God? So if we're pursuing this joy that, that comes from God, trying to find joy in him, knowing that that, that is a joy that will satisfy us eternally, well, how do we find that? Well, does it please God? Okay, well, what pleases God? If you got your Bibles, you can go ahead and, and turn to Hebrews 11.6. We're not going back to Ecclesiastes. You don't need to keep a finger there. Uh, it'll be on the screen as well. But Hebrews 11.6 tells us this, And without faith, it is impossible to please Him, referring to God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So one way we can please God is through faith. Now, I know that's kind of one of those big, ambiguous church answers, Okay, so I said, go, here, go out from here and have more faith. Gotcha, thanks. You know, but see, Hebrews 11, 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. See, faith, to kind of sum it down, is believing God. Faith is believing God. And true belief is this conviction. Yes, there's things we can't see. There's things that, that we can't know. But we can examine the evidence. We can look at the stories of those who have gone before us. We can look at their claims. We can dig into it and investigate. If you're unsure of some of this stuff, one of the saddest things I see is when someone's like, I don't get this thing about God. Or I struggle with this truth that someone just taught me about God. They said God is like this, and I, I struggle with that. One of the saddest things I see is when their next step is out the door. When the next step is away from God. The next step is like, this is difficult, this is hard, I'm walking away from God. Because the reality of it is God can take our questions. God can take our doubts. Our questions and doubts are not too big for Him. We're not going to catch Him off guard. Even with some of the most significant issues in our lives, the people who, who've lost loved ones, who for years hold on to this, this question of, God, why did you take so-and-so? Why did you let them die? When you ask him that question, or whatever your question is, God's not surprised. Oh, oh, well, uh, well you see, here's, you know, he, it doesn't surprise him. He can take those questions. He's got big shoulders. And so if you're wrestling with some of the truths about God, if you're wrestling with some of what's happened in your life, I would beg of you, honestly, instead of, because of that, turning away from God, lean into Him. Ask your questions. Pursue Him. He will meet you with His love. He will bring peace. He may not answer your question the way that you desire for it to be answered, but He will hear you, and He will be with you. And eternity will be offered in Jesus if you haven't already received it in Him. So faith is, is believing God. And to the point where we believe Him, to conviction. A conviction is when we act on those beliefs. We believe those beliefs. We believe something to be true, and so it moves us to action. Meadowland, let, let's take joy in the toils of life. For there is an eternity with God that awaits us. When we trust in God, we can find joy in the labors of our life. Because our joy ultimately is in Him. 
wherever you are today, whatever you're struggling through, whatever blessings you have going on, let's all take a moment to say, hey, am I looking at this eyes wide open? Am I finding my joy first and foremost in God? Is my eternity dealt with? Have I trusted in Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Am I walking with him? Am I about about seeing lives changed by Jesus and disciples of Jesus made, both in my own life and then to share that with others? Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing God. We trust in you for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for, for sacrificing yourself on the cross. We thank you that death could not hold you, that you rose from the grave. There's forgiveness, and we trust in you for the forgiveness of our sin. God, I thank you that you empower us and equip us through your Holy Spirit for our lives to be changed, for us to grow as a disciple, to become more like you so that we can go and share you with others and share the hope and the peace and the joy that we find in you, Father God, and the freedom that we have in knowing that our eternity is secure so that no matter what we go through in this life, no matter what Solomon lives out, that he shares his story, no matter what uh, other, others who've gone before us may go through, no matter what our story is, we already know the end of the story and, and that stop in our life that brings us to death when we trust in you, Father God, will, will lead us into eternal life in you. Eternal life with you eternal life in paradise. So keeping that in our heart, Father God, let us be satisfied in you and find great joy in that. We pray this all in your name. Amen.